Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Acts chapter 10, verse 28. God wants you to be on the move. And as you're going, make disciples. And so he says, well, why am I here? And Cornelius said four days ago, 30 to this hour, or at this hour, NIV, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, three in the afternoon, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. Luke 24, 4 describes angels as wearing dazzling apparel at the tomb of Jesus. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Now this brings up a point that we should spend a moment on. Does God hear the prayer of non-Christians? Apparently he does. Because right here, the angel told Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. And we say, well, does God really hear the prayer of unbelievers? I hope so. Because the first prayer any of you uttered is, Lord, save me. If he didn't hear that prayer, we're all in deep trouble. Now, does he answer all the prayers for this and that? Well, in God's economy, I would say my understanding is the the prayer he wants to answer is that you want to know him that you're broken, that you're hungry, that you're, you're wanting to reach out to him. And so, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. What was his prayer? Look at Acts 11, verse 14. I think it's implied that this is what he was praying. He's told to send for Peter. This is Peter telling this story in the next chapter. He, Peter, eleven fourteen, shall speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. I think it's at least implied that the prayer going up from Cornelius to God is, I want to know you. I want my family to know you. I want this house to serve you. I want to know who you are. Show me who you are. And God will honor a prayer like that. I believe any person in any nation who sees the light of creation and senses the light of their conscience and says, I know you must be there. Show me who you are. God will get to that person. And Peter sent for him. And so... He says, not only has your prayer been heard, but your alms have been remembered. We saw that memorial sacrificial language last time before God. They've come up as a sweet-smelling aroma before God, 32. So here's how he describes it to Peter. Send therefore to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. And so I sent to you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. The NIV says, it was good of you to come. Now then, we are all here, present before God. Notice how Cornelius recognizes the presence of God. The church meets in the presence of God. I charge you, therefore, in the presence of God and of his holy angels, Paul would write to Timothy. We live before the presence of God. Isn't it cool that Cornelius knows that? He says, we're all here. Friends and family, we've assembled. We are before God. And here's his next words, which are beautiful. We are here to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Don't hold one thing back. Preach it, brother. Oh, Peter must have been thinking, yeah, it's cool. Don't hold anything back. And you and I, as believers, ought to walk into churches with that heart. Don't hold one thing back, preacher. Not one. Don't do it for political correctness. Don't do it for warm fuzzies. Don't do it because I think I'm a greater champion when I leave the building. Preach the word of God to me. 
I want to know what he says, not what you say. Amen? Now, if we'd have a little bit more of that going on in the church, I think we'd be in better shape. Tell us everything. And notice, all that you have been what? Commanded by the Lord. Gospel preaching is not a suggestion, brothers and sisters. I don't have that gift. No, it's a command. Now look, we all struggle with evangelism. But we ought to be looking for opportunities to preach the gospel of reconciliation. We have a ministry. It is the ministry of reconciliation as though God were pleading through us. And part of the way that we put that on display is by being reconciled to one another as well. Of course, we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, opening his mouth, 34, Peter said, I most certainly understand now, it took some time, but that God is not one to show partiality. The word there means he doesn't judge by appearances. God is not a God of partiality, but in every nation, 35, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Now, is this a verse that's speaking of work salvation? The answer, no. You know why? The whole story is that Cornelius' life is not sufficient. He still needs to hear the gospel and come to Jesus Christ personally. Or they would have just left him alone. There's a good guy, he's... He's fine, he's saved. He was devout, he prayed, he gave alms, but that was insufficient because all of us have sinned and all of us fall, what? Short of the glory of God. Cornelius was hungry, but his acts of piety would not save him. Jesus Christ saves. He's the one that brings forgiveness of sins by his sacrificial death. And so Peter says, the word which he sent, 36, to the sons of Israel, preaching peace, a synonym for salvation here. Peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. If you want true peace, it comes through Jesus Christ. The world's talking about peace, right? Peace, peace. Look, there will be no true or lasting peace until the Prince of Peace is reigning in this world. And so he came and he preached peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. In verse 36, it's an allusion to Uh, Psalm 107, verse 20, write it down in in your margin or notes. It says, he sent his word, God did, and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. God sends his word and when his word comes, it heals. Have you experienced it? Experienced the healing word of God? You might be going through something and your heart is heavy and you're wondering about and the word of God comes and heals. It's powerful. It will accomplish God's purpose. Go to Ephesians, to your right, Acts, Romans, pass up the Corinthian letters and Galatians, you'll get to Ephesians. Go to chapter two. This is the chapter about Jew and Gentile being one in Christ. And it says in verse 11, Ephesians 2, 2, 11, therefore remember that formerly you the Gentiles in the flesh, Ephesians 2, 11, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, that's Jews, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, 2.12, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. Here's the situation and think of Cornelius, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace who made both groups into one that's Jew and Gentile and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall 
by abolishing in his flesh. Think of the food laws. Think of the things that uh, kept Jew and Gentile apart. He abolished in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Do you see how huge this moment is? This is the wall coming down. This is the church. This is the beginning of that mixed multitude in the sheet of God, if you will, saying God is the one who saves and he brings us together. Back to the book of Acts, chapter 10. Came across a story. It's written by Robert Louis Stevenson and it reads this way. In his picturesque notes of Edinburgh, he tells the story of two unmarried sisters who shared a single room. As people are apt to do who live in close quarters, the sisters had a falling out which Stevenson says was on some point of controversial divinity. In other words, they were arguing about theology, and you would presume probably a small point of theology. The controversy was so bitter that the sisters never spoke to each other again. There were no words, either kind or spiteful, just silence. Nevertheless, possibly because of a lack of means or because of the innate Scottish fear of scandal, they continued to keep house together in the single room. A chalk line was drawn across the floor to separate their two domains. For years they coexisted in hateful silence. Each woman's meals, baths, and family's visitors were exposed to others' unfriendly silence. At night each one went to bed listening to the heavy breathing of her enemy. The two sisters, ostensibly daughters of the church, continued the rest of their miserable lives, close quote. Does that happen today? Is the chalk line drawn between people who are brothers and sisters in Christ? We say, I'm not going to deal with that person anymore. And the world looks on and they say, that's the ministry of reconciliation? That's what the church has to offer the world? Back to Acts 10 and we'll finish it. So Peter's preaching and he says, you yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea starting from Galilee. It was well heard of in these quarters after the baptism of John which John proclaimed, which was a baptism of preparation and repentance, 10.38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth. I want you to see how Peter's going to preach about the ministry of Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, and that he's the judge. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. There's gospel preaching the cross. And God raised him up on the third day. There's your resurrection. And granted that he should become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. He ate some fish and honeycomb in their presence in Luke 24. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one, he is Messiah, who has been appointed by God. Notice, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and he is the judge of the living and the dead. You want to know the judge, folks? He be the judge. 
People are always debating, could it be that Christianity is the only way to God? Can Jesus really be the only way? Well, that's what the Bible says. You can talk about your spirituality all day long, but that's what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, if you want to marginalize him or, or cut out parts of your Bible, don't do that. If you want to reject him, you have that ability to do so. But don't try to redefine him. He said, I'm the judge. I died on the cross for your sins. I rose to defeat your greatest enemy, death, and I will judge the living and the dead. All judgment's been given to the Son, John chapter 5. He will judge the living and the dead. I want to know the judge. And what's amazing is the judge died for me as though he had committed my sins. What a glorious gospel. He says, of him, all the prophets, 43, bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Praise God. Everyone who believes. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish. They'll have everlasting life. The gospel is about forgiveness of all our sins. And while Peter was still speaking these words, maybe focused on the words of forgiveness, but I'm sure the whole uh, sermon, while he was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. No altar call, no sinner's prayer, No, raise your hand and get saved. As he's preaching the sermon, the Holy Spirit falls upon the group of Gentile listeners, which implies that they did what? They repented and believed. Peter had just gotten going. He was just in his introductory points. And the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And they must be believers because if you have the Holy Spirit, you are what? Regenerated. And as he's preaching, the Spirit falls upon them. And all the circumcised believers, that's the six Jewish guys who came along, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. Now, how did they know that the Holy Spirit had been received? For they were hearing them, and here's the biblical right way that tongues is manifest. They were hearing these brand new believers speaking with languages or tongues and exalting God. That's how they knew. They were like, wow, this is what happened back on the day of, remember, Pentecost. And now what's happening to the Gentiles in the middle of the sermon, a bunch of people are being born again to a living hope. A preacher's dream. God's doing the work, not man. God's the one saving. People's hearts are being pricked and touched and they're like, man, I believe, Lord, and right there, the gift of the Holy Spirit, sealing them because they believed on Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the Spirit and them speaking tongues and exalting God. And the Jewish people were like, whoa, I thought this might be a process. I thought it'd be harder for a Gentile person to get saved. More they would need to repent of. Do you agree you will never eat pork again? No more bologna sandwiches. None of that. The gift of the Spirit poured out on these who are there. And they're exalting God. And what a moment. And Peter answered and said, Surely no one can refuse or forbid the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? It seems that some people wanted to refuse the waters of baptism maybe to certain people. Peter says, No. We can't refuse water. They've received the Holy Spirit. Now to our friends in the L.A. Church of Christ, 
the Boston Church of Christ, sometimes you'll meet a group at Barnes and Noble and they'll have a card. And one of the first things they start to pitch to you is, were you baptized? What church were you baptized in? Who baptized you? And in what formula? And the reason that they say this because they believe unless you're baptized in their church building and their baptistry by their minister, in Jesus' name only, you can't be saved. And you might say, well, I got baptized at this church and this was the pastor. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not sufficient. You need to become baptized in the waters of our baptistry because somehow, I guess, they're magical waters in their baptistry, Right? And what they believe is in a form of baptismal regeneration. It's not until you go into the waters of baptism that you're actually saved. Folks, let's be as clear as we can be. The water doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. And note it, they've got the Spirit before they ever go into the waters of baptism. Mark this verse down because you're going to cross paths probably with somebody, if you haven't already, who's going to pitch this to you and say, well, what about Acts chapter 10? Sure seems like they're born again without any water. Now, we should say that the waters of baptism do follow. And I would imagine that people were making confessions right before they got in the water. Can you imagine that praise and worship service? All these Gentile people, I baptize you in the name of Jesus. Yeah! Praising God, one person after another being baptized, giving confession, I'm sure. Gee, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, then I baptize you in his name. Amen? What a day of ministry that must have been. As one after the other, people are being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so they looked at Peter and they said, hey, Peter, will you stay a couple days with us? Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. No, I just, I just blew into town to preach and baptize. I'm not staying with you guys. We got to eat and stuff. Can you imagine what those days must have looked like? Peter, tell us more about the Bible. Tell us more about Jesus. Tell us more about being a disciple. A couple days, man. They must have been packed. Can you imagine the first meal that was served? All right, Peter, here you go. Here's some grub. <laughs> you people eat that? You want me, Lord, you want me to? Rise, Peter. Kill and... Hmm. Now, am I saying that because of these Bible verses, Jewish people have to stop being Jewish? No. You can eat a kosher diet all day long. But remember, that's not the issue. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I become all things to all men, that by means of that I might win some. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. If Paul went into a Jewish situation, he wouldn't be eating a bologna sandwich. But if he went into a Gentile situation, I think it's clear and it's at least implied that he might eat what's put before him because the bigger issue was these people need to hear what? The gospel. Not worry about you know, what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink. Now, this, did this continue to be an issue for the church down through the centuries and especially in the first century? Yes. As a matter of fact, later in Peter's life, he's going to step back from his position in this Gentile home. And he's going to hold himself aloof from Gentiles because some of the cool Jewish people showed up and Peter didn't want to look like he was hanging out with them. And Paul had to get in Peter's face. This is later on. And said, stop the hypocrisy. Stop it. Now, this will be a quick summary of chapter 11 for the sake of time because we're out of time. But how did the church respond? If God received the Gentiles with the church since it was predominantly Jewish, Look at Acts 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. 
And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised, the Jews took issue with him, and they said, you went to uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. What were you thinking, Peter? How could you walk through that door? How could you eat? I hope none of us have ever said this before. How could you eat with those people? So Peter has to break into the story. And for the sake of time, skip down to 14. He shall speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and your household. And Peter says, he's now trying to defend himself before the Jewish audience. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning, just at the time, thinking of the day of Pentecost. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I remembered what Jesus told us. Obviously more than once. See, John baptized with water. I'm baptizing people with the Holy Spirit. And so notice what happens. If God therefore gave to them the same gift as he gave to us, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he might have said it in a Jewish way, who was I? (laughs) Who was I to stand in God's way? Right? He's opened the door to the Gentiles. I couldn't get in God's way. And when they heard this, they quieted down. You get the idea that there was a lot of murmuring and complaining. Can you believe it? He went into the Gentile. Can you believe it? And they quieted down and they glorified God and they said, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Father, we thank you for this great and glorious moment in the church. Thank you that the door was open to the Gentiles. Most of us are considered uh, Gentiles here. We're non-Jewish people. And the door was open to us that day. And there are doors I know that you want to come down between people and people groups and individuals that the church might model the gospel. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have fallen short. But I want to praise you that I am part of a family where we are one in Jesus Christ. Most of the precious people that are here this morning, I would have never met them. I would have never known them. I would have known a few of them, but for the most part, I would have never known these precious people. And you opened the door to me and my family to become part of your family. And we are one in Christ. I can't imagine what my life would have been like had you not opened the door of the church to me. These people are a precious family. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are so close because we have the same Father, the same Lord, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. What a precious thing that you've created. And I don't think we're going to even know the full depths of it until we're on the other side, but... Until that happens, may we live for you. May we walk through open doors. May walls come down between us. May you be glorified as the head of the church as people and angels look on and wonder at what you have created, a new society, one new man, the church. What a glorious thing to be part of. You keep your heart bowed. If you've not met Christ, if you're not part of his church, you're here for a reason. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. The mistakes that you've made, your sins can be forgiven right now if you will call upon his name. 
The Holy Spirit will fall upon your life if you will repent of your sin and trust in Christ. Do it right now. Don't wait one more moment. Cry out to Him. And He will come. And He will apply Christ's death and resurrection to your life. And He will take residence in your life. Trust in Him right now. If you're a backslidden believer, come back home. Let the Lord use your life for His purposes. You are a great and awesome Godfather. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. I'm going to put you on the spot here. I do have a question. How do we know when God is speaking to us? Well, that's a great question, Oscar, and it's not always easy to know. Um, you know, it seems to me from this particular uh, account that Peter, it was plain to Peter. You know, Jesus talked about in John 10, my sheep uh, know my voice and they follow me. And I think it takes time to be tuned into the voice of the Spirit. I think that we have to be careful because the Bible is our ultimate source and authority. And I, and I believe that the main way that God communicates to us today is through his word, which is breathed out by God and is the product of the spirit. Um, but I do believe that God can work outside the box as it were. It's not outside his box. He can work anywhere and he can speak to our hearts. And I think what we try to look for is confirmation. Is this something that rings true of the spirit? Is this, is this something that, you know, I can confirm with a Bible uh, text. Is this something that sounds like it is for the cause of the gospel? And if it makes me even a little bit uncomfortable, that may be God, mm. you know, calling me to break out of my comfort zone. Now, look, um, when I have had experiences like this, I try to double and triple and quadruple check yes. it, you know, to make sure because uh, I don't want to be outside of God's will. But I think normally for believers, we know when the Holy Spirit's tugging. And sometimes we fight it. Hi, this is Pastor Michael, and I just want to take a moment to thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio. And, you know, when we're doing radio, folks, um, it's a little hard to tell who's listening. And we'd like to be able to uh, hear from our listening audience. And we're not asking for anything other than just drop us an email and let us know uh, if the program has been a blessing to you. We'd certainly like to hear from you. We're always looking how to best spend our stewardship dollars in terms of the ministry of radio. And so we, we'd like to know uh, how we're doing. And drop the email to office at livingtruthcorona.org. That's office at livingtruthcorona.org. Org. And just let us know who you are and if you've been listening, if the program's been a blessing to you. That would really help us out, and that would be a blessing to us just to hear from some of our radio listeners. So again, drop an email to office at livingtruthcorona.org. Thank you so much for listening and praying for us and supporting us if you can. And we uh, are very appreciative of the body of Christ and pray that the Lord will bless you and your family.